We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Gelato. You might have missed us this a.m. You might have been expecting a podcast to drop. We do apologize for that. Both Nick and I decided late last night. I finally wrapped up with my CBS work at about 1.30, and, and I just decided, you know, it's probably best. We're both fried brains-wise. Take a little bit of a break, recoup, recover. Give us time to digest the picks dive more into the picks, everything like that. So today we're going to bring you a podcast just dedicated to the day three picks. Tomorrow morning, another podcast will drop with our overall draft takeaways. And then I know a lot of you have been asking about the undrafted free agents, but that's not something we want to rush into at all. We're going to take our time on that, dive into those players. Nick's going to watch some tape. I'm going to see what I can get on those guys too. And so that will come later this week, a podcast just dedicated fully to the undrafted free agents. We'll take a deeper look into those guys because, hey, those guys make a team all, all the time across the NFL. Those guys end up being big guys, especially, you know, at the wide receiver position this year. I don't want to dive too much into that. But at the wide receiver position this year, I know the Giants avoided them in the draft. But that, because of how deep it was, it means it's probably the best UDFA wide receiver crop you'll, you, we're going to get in a long time. Um, the Giants took some shots there, too. Anyway, Nick, how are you doing today now that you've had some time to recover a little bit, refresh your mind and your body, everything like that? 
Doing well, man. You know, it, it just we were just really uh, grinding the midnight oil, as they say, the last couple of days. But man, I really need your insight on something, Dan. I really do, bro. Yo, tell me about Shane Lemieux because I know you cover the NHL and everything yep. like that. So I know you could probably have some insight here. NHL. Yes, yes, Nick. Well, actually, I've been told I should cover the NFL. This was Paul Dettino. Very good. Very objective. Very in-depth Giants beat reporter. He called the A.J. Epinesa pick at 36. Got that one exactly right. Said if they weren't going to go Epinesa, they went Yatir Grossmatos. I heard that that one was also going to be the case. Oh, oh, wait, never mind. They went Xavier McKinney. But anyway, my my NHL coverage is limited. Fortunately, that's something I've been suggested to, to do, but I, I don't have much background in it. I do know that Shane Lemieux is not actually related to Mario Lemieux, just as Carter Coughlin, another giant traffic, is not actually related to Tom, anyone in that family. So that's probably the extent that I can give you on uh, Lemieux's hockey background and the, the background of Mario Lemieux. I do know his name, Mario Lemieux. I, I, I really... I'm a big sports guy, Nick, outside of obviously the Giants. We do this podcast. I've loved sports my whole life, but NHL is the one I've never really gotten into. I like it when I go to the games live and I feel like I can follow the puck really well live, especially I'm, I'm, I mean, I'll say this when I go to NFL games, you can give me second tier and third tier over the first tier any freaking day. I hate watching football from the first tier. I need that a minimum. I need the second tier because I need to see how the play develops. I need to see how the safeties are aligned. I need to see everything. I hate that first tier view, but same thing goes for hockey for me. I've 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 done a good job. Tra- you know, I enjoy it when I'm in the when I'm in the second and third tier. But on TV, man, I can't follow the puck. I don't like hockey on TV. So, so what are your thoughts on that before we get into the Giants? You can't neglect Claude Lemieux, man. There's Claude, oh, Lemieux. Claude Lemieux and the Rangers, yeah. my New York Rangers, bro. Okay. Brandon Lemieux, who's playing for them right oh. now. He's a fighter. Yeah, Brandon Lemieux. He's a really interesting character to say the least. Um, that I've maybe you know, it's you who should cover the NHL name instead of NFL. I'll talk to Paul for you. I love the NHL. I used to play hockey, man. It's okay. I, I didn't know I that. I do love the sport, but it's, football has always been my number one. I'll give Paul a shout out and I'll let him know that you're interested in covering some NHL. Maybe he can set you, send you some cutups and some clips because God knows that me or you can't can't break down the cutups of the football clips that he has that he that aren't his property. But uh, but but he won't send us because we wouldn't know what we we're looking at. So <laughs> I'll ask him if he's got any NHL stuff for you. What a douche. <laughs> No, it's all good. Uh, I really don't care about about it. I just thought it was funny. Um, and and I will say this because some of you have mentioned like you know I like your stuff and I like Paul's. I like the Giants kickoff. I'm not telling anyone on this podcast not to listen to that. They do a good show over there, especially John Schmelk, who I've had really good conversations and interactions with in the past on Twitter. Big fan of John Schmelk and him and Paul do run a good show over there. They got a lot of good guests on the show. The Giants give them a ton of access that we don't have to players and. And things of that nature. So no disrespect there at all. Don't don't not a fan of Paul, obviously, after this. I haven't been a huge fan of him to begin with. Not an objective voice on the Giants. And I'm as me and Nick have always talked about, we're all about the objectivity. Of course, we grew up fans of the team. Um, but you know, we're not trying to lean one way or the other, positive or negative. We're just trying to look at this thing completely objectively. That's what we're gonna that's our guarantee to you at all times. And I think for the most part, fans do appreciate that objectivity, though obviously there are some Giants fans out there who who do believe that Eli Manning is still elite, should should be elite, just got screwed, could be great with a good offensive line. Some even believe Davis Webb is the future. Hey, that's a Paul Latino take. So listen, <laughs> listen, uh, maybe he's the future of the AFL Argonauts or whoever, wherever he's playing right now. How much shade is over there, bro? <laughs> There's a lot of shade. There's a lot of shade looking around just now. All right, let's dive into day three, the Giants picks. It all started at 110. Gettleman told us they were going to consider trading back. Clearly, they didn't trade back. 
They kept that, I believe, third or fourth overall pick in the at the start of day three, um, and they selected a position that fans weren't expecting. Again, remember, the Giants are not going to be a team under Dave Gettleman that just looks at a list of needs and ticks them off one by one by one. And thank God they're not that kind of team because all the teams that do that style of drafting, that need-based drafting, that tick down, that look at a list of needs one by one by one, in my opinion, are the ones that fail over and over. Those are the GMs that end up getting fired. So instead, they took a guy who they believed was number one on their value board at the time, a player they obviously have at least a third-round grade on, probably a sec- close to a second-round grade on. And by the way, he does fit an exact need. He may have not played the position they're projecting in that um, until the Senior Bowl, which we'll get to, but they have a, proje- uh, a projected position for fourth-round pick Darnay Holmes out of UCLA, and it's a position of major need. It's a position the Giants have struggled with throughout the past few years, especially in 2019, who remembers that Washington Redskins game that they would have lost and probably had the number two pick to get Chase Young, by the way, which would have changed everything. If, uh, you know, Case Keenum had any kind of accuracy when Grant Haley was getting just burned over and over by slot verts. Um, but Darnay Holmes projected to really compete. And the Giants have said potentially even start in the slot right away. They believe he can. What are your thoughts on this draft pick, Nick? Darnay Holmes out of UCLA. Holmes came out of high school with a lot of pedigree. He was a five-star athlete, and I want to say he jumped around high schools a lot, but he landed at Calabasas High School in California, and he ended up going to UCLA, staying in-state. And from what I saw down at the Senior Bowl and just from some of his tape, I want to start with some of the positives first. I mean, I see a guy with really good acceleration, closing burst to the catch point and he brings a lot of physicality to the catch point despite the fact that he's like five foot nine and like 195 pounds so he's not that big of a guy he has sub 30 inch arms it's something else that i do not like what i did like was down at the senior bowl they utilized him in the slot he was basically only a boundary corner at ucla and at the senior bowl he played slot showed that he could do that that he was athletic enough to kind of give receivers a two-way go then once the giants drafted him at 110 I wanted to watch his film. I was like, okay, this guy's a New York Giant. Let's check it out. So I watched the YouTube game. You guys can go and watch it against Washington State, and I was not impressed. I felt like his line of scrimmage skills were pretty poor. He allowed receivers to – he gave receivers open releases way too much, wasn't really disciplined at the line of scrimmage, and he allowed receivers to stack on top of him. And I was like, oh, crap, man, this sucks. And then I was like, am I down on this guy? I couldn't really find much other film because initially I liked what I saw at the Senior Bowl, and I liked everything about him outside of his size. And he's not necessarily an amazing athlete either, but I think like acceleration and he has quick feet and he has kind of those foundational traits that you want your cornerback to have. And then just talking to people and talking to you even before this podcast, Dan, you know somebody at that UCLA program said, hey, 2018, he was really good. 2019, he slipped up a little bit. He was dealing with an injury. So it makes me be a little bit more intrigued by this selection. I was looking at just other players that were on the board. I mean, Akeem Davis-Gaither just went off. So I was like, okay, that's not going to be an option. And you have a glaring liability on the defense. And what did you do? You added a bunch of cornerbacks in several different ways through free agency. You drafted last year, drafted Holmes this year. And if I had to say there was one pick that I wasn't in love with, it was probably this Darnay Holmes pick. But let's hope that he's the 2018 Holmes and not subpar 2019 one that I saw just at that Washington State game. I, I need to see more film on him. And in that game, I mean, on the, on the season in 2019, he gave up five touchdowns. Three of them were in that game. So so that's that's the one thing I can say. I want to get more film on him. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to. But the lack of length and 
and just some of the technical things in that specific game have me a little bit concerned, but I'm hoping that your buddy is uh, right about that, to be honest. is right the fact that 2018 was more of his year. The pro football focus grades say that it was. I just, um, that's the way the Giants went. If there was any pick that I probably was like uh, a little bit of a head scratcher I wasn't in love with, it was probably 110. First, before I dive into this a little bit more, I did want to mention something interesting that you mentioned um, about Keem Davis Gaither. So from what I've heard from our insiders at CBS, there's a bone-on-bone issue there. Kind of what, uh, you know, we've seen this happen with tons of prospects who drop in the draft. That was the reason for his draft. There, Some people are worried about a bone-on-bone injury. And then with regards to... Um, and and also something interesting I heard with regarding to that is we know from our, our from what Gettleman said that they were planning to trade back if Xavier Kinney was on the board. I have heard from somebody at CBS. I'm not going to mention the name here. He told me off pod that Bond was one of their targets. Was actually their main target if they were planning to trade back. So I do believe that they were hoping he would fall to 99. He went off at 74. The Saints traded up for Zach Bond. And obviously, again, another issue where the injury, the lack of information caused his drop. Um, in the end, I ended up looking back on it, and we'll go over this later, but I'm actually happy how it worked out because the more I look at it, the guys they drafted and the way they're going to try to retool this and revamp this second level of defense, a, a player like Bond is not as important to me like a player like Xavier McKinney. And so I do think it worked out for the benefit. Now, they would have had an extra third rounder. Who knows where they could have gone there? Who knows what they would have done there? Probably would have been maybe used on an edge like Zuninga or somebody, you know, with some explosiveness there. Or I'm sorry, they probably wouldn't have gone edge, actually, if they had gone bond there. They probably would have went with the safety. Maybe it was Ashton Davis, something like that. But the more I research, I'm kind of happy with how that one worked out as well. I'm just really into Xavier McKinney pick. It's It's my favorite pick of the draft. But anyway... Back to Holmes, because I thought that was just an interesting side note based on what you mentioned. For him, he was kind of shot out of a cannon. He was the number 13 recruit in the nation and the number one cornerback recruit in the country, according to Scout. So he had a very, very high upside based on, you know, uh, just just the recruiting cycle and how they do there. You know, Giants are a team, and a lot of good teams do this. They like to take a chance on these high recruits, these five-star recruits, betting on their traits, betting on their fit in their system versus the system they played in college and betting on their development. Cause remember these kids are still young. They're all 20, 21 years old. They have time to develop their skills and morph into different players. And he started right away as a freshman there and had some really good plays in 2017. That's kind of what I've looked back on early. A lot of his best, you know, he had a couple pick sixes, I believe in 2017 and 2018, his best year was 2018. Um, at least according to pro football focus, he earned a really, really strong coverage grade in 2018. And it wasn't as strong in the other years there. But he was shot out of a cannon. He started, got to play right away as a top recruit, even despite his size. He was a top recruit. He again, remember, he's only five foot. He's a little under five foot ten. He's about five foot nine, and 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 one hundred and ninety five pounds, which is really impressive to me because he's rocked up five foot. Like, that is big, big, big physical size for somebody who's only five foot nine. That's a big size for him. And yet, despite being one hundred ninety five pounds, a really strong physical size for his height. He had really good testing times at the combine. He tested out with a 4-4-7 40-yard dash to me from when I've watched him. He looks even faster on tape. I don't know if that's the case, but that's how I see it. Yeah, he had a 4-4-7 like you said, and his 10-yard split wasn't even that good. It was a 1-6-4, and that's not that great, but that really shows that he has a second, third-level gear to him. So that's something that I feel like uh, is good in recovery speed and those kind of aspects of playing cornerback position. 
And again, remember this truncated process, this weird combine process with the with the prospects for the first time ever doing drills at like 1030 at night. Some people think that played a role. And Joe Judge mentioned uh, in his review of the picks, uh, the, the day three picks, he had a presser, which we'll talk about a little bit. Um, that quickness was something that stood out on tape a lot when they when it comes to Darnay Holmes. And basically, like you mentioned just before, Nick, he's a guy who played boundary his whole career at UCLA despite his size. Um, and yet at the Senior Bowl, finally got a chance. You know, they the coaches wanted to see how he could kick in against the best senior competition in college football in the slot. And that's where the Giants said they first locked on, looked into him, and then they went back, rewatched his tape, and feel like, he can compete right away in day one, 2020 season for their starting nickel roll. And remember, this nickel roll will be played at times by Xavier McKinney, but it, but they need a, a star. He, he calls it a star position, Joe Judge. That's what he calls his nickel position. And, and if you know anything more about that, because I'm not very familiar with that, Nick, jump in now and explain kind of what the star position is. The star position is just kind of like a hybrid. You can think of that as a hybrid safety linebacker that does things like Xavier McKinney, who I believe played like the star or the money position for mm-hmm. Alabama. The star position was something that Minka Fitzpatrick played. Yep. And I think it's just you can interchange the names a little bit more. You could play the robber. You can have him as the overhang defender. You can put him in the box, blitz him off the edge, blitz him through the B or the A gap. He's mm-hmm. just kind of like an, a do-it-all second level defender is a sure. way you can kind of think of him. And they're going to need multiple guys for this because, again, remember, there's going to be snaps where McKinney's a very versatile player. He's probably the best sub-package player they could have drafted. I mean, that's that, I was listening to uh, Path to the Draft podcast or Journey to the Draft podcast with Greg Cassell, and he said when it comes to sub-package defenses, and, and like he said, that's 80% of the NFL these days, he doesn't think there's a better player, there's a better prospect to draft than McKinney in this class. It was really high praise for McKinney on that podcast. Um, and obviously we've seen it too. This is a guy like like Simmons, who he believes, by the way, should be a safety at the next level um, for a lot of similar reasons to why McKinney thrived in this role. He's a versatile player, and they're just looking for versatile players here on this defense. Um, that's kind of the whole idea of what they, of this draft and you know what they did and and the new defense they're gonna we're we're assuming they're gonna bring in again remember we don't have nobody has any full knowledge on what this defense is gonna look like it's a lot of projection right now we haven't seen it there's been no practices there's been no mini camps yet um very little tape on what Patrick Graham is as a coordinator uh things of that nature but what we're from what we're projecting it's gonna there's gonna be a lot of players playing different roles all the time and with Holmes I think he'll find he'll find a home a home in one spot, and that's in the nickel spot. And for me, Nick, what I like best about Holmes when I went back and looked is that although you know some of his best tape came in 2018 when he wasn't injured, because again played through a little bit of an ankle injury, forcing him to miss two games in 2019. Some of his best games came against the best competition, and for me, that's always important. He had some unbelievable reps against JJ Arcea Whiteside, who was a top draft pick, I think second rounder for the Eagles last year. Obviously hasn't panned out yet in the NFL. Had a really rough rookie season. Which to is say the mu- least. <laughs> to say the least, which is a music to Giants fans' ears, um, especially if they drafted Jalen Hurts as well. It's another dump of a pick, in my opinion. But, you know, he was a really good college player, and he had some really, really good reps against uh, Lavishka Chenault, who I believe should have been a first-rounder in any other draft. But by he kind of got screwed by that bad combine time and just a deep wide receiver class. Uh, I thought it was a really good value pick for the Jaguars there in round two. Um, and also Hollywood Brown, he kept up with him on a rep I watched that was just unbelievable because Hollywood Brown is one of the fastest players in football. And then obviously from just even the 2019 stuff, which was, wasn't as good as 2018, there's a play that you can watch from, from Darnay Holmes that stood out to me. And it's a run player. I believe it's either a catch out of the backfield or a run play by Arizona running back J.J. Taylor, who has four, maybe five yards on him breaking to the end zone. 
Holmes runs him down, showing kind of his recovery speed, that third gear Nick mentioned, and then forces a fumble just before Taylor uh, crosses the goal line. The the ball pops out through the end zone. Uh, Holmes then recovers it. Really good athletic play for the touchback. Just an awesome play there. It was my favorite play I saw, even though there's some fun coverage plays. And for me, what stands out about Holmes is those reps against big-time players and the ball skills because – Ball skills are something you don't teach, something that these players have naturally, and the Giants don't really have, in my opinion, many quarterbacks on this roster with excellent ball skills. I think it can be argued that Bradbury has them, but I don't know if I've seen it yet with Baker. I don't know if I've seen it yet with Beal either. And ball skills are also, it's not just, oh, go up and catch the ball. There's much more to it. It's ability to... A, realize when the ball is being thrown in your direction by either reading the receiver or just kind of knowing the route concept, doing the film even before you even get on the field to know, okay, on this specific route, they usually do this throw if this guy, ha- if we're playing this leverage. So there's that. That's like a mental side of it. But secondly, it's, okay, the ball's in the air. I can look up. I locate the ball. I can track the ball. And then I can get there with physicality. And Holmes did display that. And it kind of goes with... Uh, what the coaching staff said about him. They said that he's a really passionate worker and he always strives to just be a better football player. That's what the UCLA coaching staff said about him. So he kind of has that high work ethic that Dave Gettleman's kind of put a precedent on with this draft class. It's just, I feel like he gets a little bit too grabby at the top of routes. I don't feel like he's overly sticky in man coverage at the top of some routes. Those are just little things that I saw from the little bit of film that I have witnessed. I don't think he's the strongest tackler. He's definitely not scared to tackle whatsoever. But I do feel like because of his size and his limited tackle radius, he people can slip out of his block sometimes, depending on the context of the situation. If he's coming downhill hard and there's just a receiver on a hitch pattern sitting there and the receiver catches the ball, Holmes can run right through that player. But if a running back's chugging downhill towards him, it's a little bit different just because of his somewhat diminutive size. But again, I don't hate this pick whatsoever, and I don't want people to think I do. It's just I really like a lot of the other picks. So, but I, I think he's going to come in and hopefully he can kind of recapture that 2018 form and be a solid slot nickel. It's hard to find those kind of players here, especially in the third day of the draft. It's somebody who's effective and uh, Holmes has the opportunity and the chance to be that. And I don't think what you're seeing is anything off from what's actually there. I haven't had a chance to grind his film, but we don't have much film on him right now. But from everything I've read from those who do, it's it. What you said is spot on. He has a lot of bad tape. There's a lot of bad reps that you can find on Darnay Holmes. That's the reason, though, why he's there on day four. Because in addition to those really bad reps, he has a lot of really good reps. And he also combines those really good reps with really good traits and really good physical tools. And again, traits meaning, you know, his ball skills and also just the physical tools that that third gear we're talking about from a speed standpoint. And and, and also, you know, he has some really good reps where he's re- really staying in phase and coverage and fighting downfield to stop these these deeper routes. Um, and so, so when you combine the fact that, you know, there's the really good traits, you're betting on tools. It's a day two prospect. And again, like I said, for day two prospects, you're betting on tools, especially when you consider the fact that they're going to convert him to a position that he hasn't played. So it is a bit of projection. Anytime you convert a player to a different position, it's a projection because you haven't seen him there. He has only very limited tape for the Giants to work with of him in the slot. And what was the biggest issue with Grant Haley? We loved his tackling. We loved a lot about him, but he did not have recovery speed. If he right. was beat, he was beat. Holmes has recovery speed. So that yes. is something that we can look at and be like, if he can develop those other aspects that he's a little bit lacking on, then you just literally fixed your biggest liability on defense in 2019. 
Yeah, Nick. Uh, so I actually am really pretty excited about this pick. I know we're at different different ends of the spectrum with that, which is totally fine. Um, and I totally get that. And again, there's a lot of Giants fans who are really disappointed. They used, you know, some Giants fans want them to work down a needs list and just attack need, need, need. I, I've had a lot of Giants fans tell me they thought they should have just taken the best graded edge there and not worried about their value board. But I'm telling you guys, if you're a team that does that, you're going to be a bad team. You cannot take your... 154th ranked player over your 86th ranked player it, just because of a position that he plays. That's a recipe for disaster. It, you don't have to trust me on that, but it'll play out. Look at all the teams who do do that, and and, and you'll see it easily with them. Um, some interesting comments and quotes, I think, on Darnay Holmes from, from uh, after the draft. They think that um, – with Holmes, that he's a tough kid that's going to compete right away for the nickel. That's what that's what Gettleman said of him. And what Judge said of him was that he's a guy that jumps out to you on tape because of the speed and the short area quickness. Um, he believes that he's also someone who's going to have an impact on the kicking game. Remember, Holmes is a guy who played special teams and had some – and I believe he had at least – how, do you have the numbers on his return yardage and, and touchdowns? I definitely saw a couple big plays from him in the return game as well. Yeah, he's. I know he averaged twenty three point one okay. yards on kickoff returns. Uh, I think he had one touchdown uh, okay. with two interceptions that he had. He returned it to the house. I, I want to say I saw that, and it was it wasn't anything like crazy where he was like a It was more of he jumped the. Uh, I think he picked off somebody in like the the high flat near the sideline. Oh no, he has multiple return back. touchdowns, Nick. I didn't in mean, 2009. I'm talking about 2019. No, not in 2019. Over the course of the three years. Oh yeah, I don't I don't have the three years. I just had nineteen in front of me. Yeah, no, he actually is a is one of the rare players in this draft who's actually had multiple return pit interception return touchdowns. He's a very good after the catch, after the interception and return game type of athlete. So he's gonna add that element as well. The special teams thing is big. Remember, we're gonna be a this is a special teams first team now with Joe Judge on board. It was already trending <laughs> in that direction with McGahee, but you look at uh, all the picks they made on day three, a lot of these have special team focuses. Literally, actually all of the picks besides Besides Lemieux have special teams focus. All every single day three pick is gonna probably compete on special. Maybe not Cam Brown as well. We don't know about that. But um, but the rest of them are gonna be special teams guys too. And I thought it was interesting. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say some of them are gonna have to be special teams across oh, their yeah. roster. But we'll get into that. <laughs> yes, for sure. I mean, let's yeah. let's keep in mind. The amount of seventh and sixth round picks that ends exactly. up working in the NFL. This should not be lost on anyone. Though there is one late pick they made that I'm super excited about, and we'll get to that. But I did want to bring up something as well with Darnay Holmes. I for every single draft pick the Giants make, I read the uh the the I read and if I can listen to, it's not always out there, but I read and try to listen to all of their interviews with the beat reporters. And for me, Darnay Holmes was by far and away the most impressive. Just some of the highlights of that interview, he's He's become a master chess player. That's a big thing for him. He believes that the, that his um, focus on chess and like learning the game has helped him, ha has become an asset for him in football because it believes, uh, and I'll, I'll just quote him. I don't need to, I don't need to um, summarize this. He says he believes that it helps him think more efficiently and gets his mind, his football mind thinking more efficiently because that's kind of what the game of chess is. He also talked about what's really important to him is is helping is you know becoming a success so he can help build some generational wealth for his the younger nephews and the people in his family that's that's a next level thinking for a kid his age talking about generational wealth and the focus there um and just he was by far and away to me the most impressive interview i thought for sure uh darnay holmes this just seems like a guy with his head on right and somebody who's going to come in and work his ass off and that's like 
again, this is this is something big for the Giants. They're really putting a priority on team captains, guys who have good off-field, you know, mindset and working hard. And I'm on board with that. I will always be on board with that uh, because I believe that in the end, this is just like any other job. If you don't have a passion for it, if you don't have the drive and the work ethic for it, no matter what you're doing in life, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. And and by the way, I think he's for sure a very talented player. I think his only talent limitations really are simply just the height um, and the fact that he's probably not boundary based on that and the length. But I really liked what I saw from what I heard from him all, uh, during his interview. Yeah, especially if he cleans up some of the uh, other parts of his game that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, he, their talent is definitely there. They're, you're not a five-star recruit if you're not a talented player. And he did develop at UCLA. He just took a step back in 2019. But I do like the fact that he's bringing up things like chess, generational wealth. That's all awesome. And I feel like some Giants fans get like a bad because i say like you want to bring in these culture guys these are good culture guys there's like a negative connotation that they're not good football players and that's bogus some of these guys are good football players and they are culture guys and that that recipe is something that joe judge definitely wants to build in his first year as a head coach he said i'm not looking for just a great player here and there i'm looking to build a great team so it is all about the culture it's about the locker room it's about having everyone buy in and i'm sure you talk to anybody you know who's affiliated with the nfl they've been on teams and if there's a contingent of the locker room that doesn't believe in what's going on. That could literally just be a cancer that sinks the entire team in the yes. morale. And that definitely affects the cohesion on the field. On that note, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem! Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. All right, Nick, with their next draft pick, the Giants went back to the offensive line, which I freaking love, by the way. I'm such an offensive line guy. I'm always about drafting them. And they took Shane Lemieux, uh, a guy who played guard at Oregon. Um, and though although he played guard at Oregon, is already working to learn the center position. The Giants have said in their post-draft interview that he's a guy who they are going to try to work in at center. He's going to try to work in at, and be a swing interior guy, center and guard. What's your general takeaways from the Lemieux pick? I like the Lemieux pick because he's going to add a level of toughness to the interior offensive line that is comparable to Will Hernandez. And I think that's something that we, the Giants need. And Lemieux is not going to start right away unless he does work into that center position. And the Giants feel like he has the flexibility to do that. So I do love that aspect as well. But Lemieux is a run blocker. He is a mauler. He is somebody who is going to try to run through your face, keep his legs moving, try to play with low leverage, explode through his hips and try to move you off your spot as a defensive lineman. And I love that about him. And I mean, he was what 
second team all Pac-12 in 2018, and he was a second team All-American this past year. So this is a guy who has a really powerful punch and really, really heavy hands. So I love what he can do in the run game. He came, he ran a lot of power concepts at Oregon, a lot of power gap concepts, uh, pass protection. He only gave up the one sack 2019. I put it on Twitter. He expected center help. Uh, he's not as good in pass protection. I don't feel like he has that much bend to be honest, but he's not a, a total liability there. They can work on him. Mark Colombo can get his hands on him, work on him. And I feel like he's an excellent, I don't even want to say developmental piece. He could be a future swing guard for the New York Giants through the entirety of his contract with the upside of starting. And you land that player in the fifth round at pick 150. I don't really see much that could be wrong with that. And the dude's just incredibly tenacious, man. The guy wants to dominate you. I think Jacob Breeland, the tight end from Oregon, said uh, someone asked him who's the toughest player on the football team. And without a doubt, without missing a beat, he was like, oh, Shane Lemieux. There's no doubt about it. I mean, who doesn't want that kind of player? In the locker room, I love the fact that they tripled down on the offensive line and brought in another offensive lineman. This one interior offensive line, but I mean, positional versatility, hopefully, and who knows, could be a starting center at some point this year. Yeah, I mean, they mentioned him. The Giants mentioned him as a potential starting center option. They they talked through the center position after the draft, and they mentioned him. They mentioned uh, Nick Gates. They mentioned um, they mentioned him. Nick Gates. Pulley and Hoppio, potentially. So there's four potential guys for that position this year. And Lemieux will definitely have his chance to play it. Um, NFL.com's Lance Zerline, really good scout, does a lot of work. Compared him to former first-round pick Lakin, Lakin Tomlinson. I can kind of see that in his game. The deal with Lemieux is this. Listen, any day three pick is going to have his warts, and Lemieux has his warts. It's pass protection and it's change of direction skills. He surprised people at the combine when, you know, at 324 pounds or whatever it was, he, he ran a 5-1-1, which was unbelievable. It put him, of all guards, I'm pretty sure that put him in the, I don't, I'm trying to find the number on this, put him in the 85, 85th percentile among all guards. But it's not a perfect projection from an athletic standpoint because, of course, the change of direction skills in the pa- and, and they show up in the pass production more so than the run game are there. But what the Giants got here was a guy who they fit, feel can fit where they're moving on offense from the blocking scheme. And that's going to be more power and gap. That's what they want here with Jason Garrett coming in. There's no, there's not, after this pick to me, Nick, there's no uh, debating it. I think this was a clear pick that they're moving in a different direction on the offensive line, especially on the interior um, when it comes to the concepts they're going to call in the run game. And, and I think, I mean, it's, it's hard to say that wouldn't happen when you consider how much inside zone they called last year. It's obvious that there were going to be some changes there. They're, they're not going to, you know, it's very rare you see teams just calling in all, all, all one concept in the, in, the, in the run blocking game. And, and the Giants didn't do 100% there, but it was overwhelmingly inside zone with Pat Shermer yeah. and Hal Hunter. Um, so I think he's a good fit for where they're moving there. And this is a guy who has a ton of experience, man. 52 games at left guard. That's 3,535 3, snaps at a major program that's always in the running for the Pac-12 title, always in the Rose Bowl running. Um, and one thing that stood out to me, and I don't know if you caught this, was that I think it was Judge who said it. I'm pretty sure it was Joe Judge who said it. Um, he said that when he put on his tape, the, the, what really got them going with Lemieux was they put on his tape against Auburn. So remember, Oregon played Auburn. Uh, the first game of the season it last year. It was week year. one, yeah. It was week one. They were both top 10 ranked teams at the time. Auburn has arguably the best interior defensive line. Did they have arguably the best interior defensive line in football last year? I would say, I mean, just from everything that I've seen, I'd say they probably had the best, yeah. The I best, mean, it's hard. Right? To, it's hard to argue against Marlon Davidson, Derek Brown, and even right. Nick Coe, who didn't go drafted. But yeah. it was 
and they love what they saw from him against the best of the best, the best interior defensive line in college football last year. And that game was completely blown by Oregon. And that was that was one of the you know eye-opening games for me with Justin Herbert. That was when I first started to realize, okay, I may not this could be a total bust type prospect, the total projection prospect, because they took the ball out of his hands in that game. Auburn, uh, Oregon had a 23 to six lead and lost the game when they just completely took the ball out of Herbert's hands. They started running and just throwing pure uh, horizontal screens and and line of scrimmage passes, and they ended up losing the game because they took the ball out of Herbert's hands. Yeah, and that was, I think Chris Crystal Ball could have been a little bit more aggressive there too. Like that might have been a coaching error. Yes, but some people, I and I totally that's what I would think too, Nick. And I think it's in play as a possibility. But I don't want to go on too of a tangent about Justin Herbert. But I think part of it is that he didn't trust Herbert, which is crazy for a guy who had started crazy. that many games at that program. Like Herbert, to me, like man, he started a lot of games had to regress like that. It's it's very worrisome. Like it's not like you know Mitchell Trubisky at least was a one year <laughs> starter. So it's like, no, no, there's some Trubisky in, in Herbert's game. There really no, is no, Trubisky. Oh no, I'm not, I'm not saying there's not, but like just revisiting. And I wasn't a Trubisky fan coming out because the person who started over him for two years wasn't even close to being <laughs> an NFL prospect. Right. So that alone made me be like, I don't think this is a first round guy. And then they, they traded up, I think one pick or whatever, whatever yeah. it was to select him. And I just, whatever though, that still a head scratching me. But back to Lemieux. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to Lemieux. We don't need to talk Justin Herbert on this podcast. So uh, I watched one of his games uh, after last night, and I have a bunch of notes on Lemieux. There was a game against okay. Cal. So it was a game against Ashton Davis, our boy. Go to the Jets. Have fun. But um, so some of the notes that I have is he's really good positioning in the run game, always drives his legs through the opponent's really uses his power through his legs, his hips, and his core, uncoils his hips through contact, and can reset and uncoil again if he really does need to. This is all in the run game, by the way. Really tight elbows, usually gets his hands inside. Good lean in the run game, too. He leans through his work. He's always looking for con- or always looking for work in pass protection, which is something I really like. He's never one of those guys who's just kind of content sitting there and being like, okay, no one's coming near me. Let me just keep my head on a swivel. Now, if no one's coming near him, he's running over to whomever's closest to him, engaging a block and just delivering a really punishing blow. So he's just really active at the point of attack with his hands. He's constantly readjusting. And I really like a lot of the things that he just brings to the table when it comes to um, being in a phone booth, that kind of uh, run blocking interior offensive lineman. He has good functional athletic ability there. Some of the things I didn't like was his length is pretty apparent. He Mm -hmm. really is not flexible. His change of direction isn't all that great. He's slow footed in space and they tried to put him in space a lot because they run a ton of horizontal screens and they would kick their center and their guard out to try to get out there and get in this space. And he's he's pretty slow-footed in that, so that's one thing. I mean, I think his pad level and pass protection is one of his biggest issues. He allows it to rise a little bit too much, which leads to some balance issues. And that's something else that, for me, is somewhat concerning. So you got to sink your center of gravity. You have to play with a little bit more base, a little bit more balance. His feet are so active in pass protection and in the run game. That's another thing that I really did like. I think he's best suited for a, a downhill type of system where you can just run, you know, you're— He's just going to run downhill and he's going to drive players off the ball. So, and that's something that seemed like the Giants and Saquon Barkley would thrive in. So, yeah, those are just some notes from from the game that I have. Here. Love it, Nick. These are this is the type of thing that people always tell me they love when when you break it down like that. And we'll we'll get more of this going. By the way, we got a long off season ahead of us. We're going to do a lot of diving back into players already on the roster and these new players as well, both from free agency and the draft to kind of give you this kind of insight. But some things that I took away from Dave Gettleman and Joe Judd speaking about Lemieux were just the words they used. He, 
Gettleman says he's a tough kid who plays mad, and this is something you see when you watch him. He's big, he's powerful, he's a solid athlete. He's a pretty good athlete, he said. I, I mean, that's obvious. There's going to be athletic limitations here. It's a it's a fifth-round pick. Um, but what Joe Judge said was that, you know, nasty is a word he used to describe his play. In the first snap of that or, uh, Auburn game, he's tossing bodies around on the interior. One of the, You know, like we said, the best interior defensive line in football. So for me, this is just the exact type of pick that they need to make here. And what have we been saying? You know, it's a projection because obviously he played – all third, except for one, all three 3,500 snaps at left guard. So it's a projection to potentially say he could be the center this year. But what have we been, if he if he does make that jump, what have we been saying we've been looking for at that center position all offseason? Toughness and someone who can drive players off the ball. Tough. Power, at the, power at the point of Power at the point of attack. We don't want the, me and Nick have pretty been pretty clear about this. We're done with the days of the of the Spencer Pulleys who are, you know, maybe tech, more technically sound than a Shane Lemieux for sure. And maybe has better change of direction skills than a change than a Shane Lemieux, but just not powerful enough at the point of attack. And I think there could be a big difference in this offense if they can finally get someone in there at center who has power at the point of attack. So hopefully Shane Lemieux can be that guy. I think it was an excellent uh, swing there uh, in the fifth round. Like. A lot of these players, they have a lot of experience, this one in big time football and their team captains. So, again, the, that culture, that is something that Joe Judge wants to be a team that is tough, that will punch you in the mouth. And a lot of, I think, front offices and coaching staffs always preach that. But every step that Judge has taken since he's gotten here, it's backed it up. So I really like that, too. Yep. No doubt about it. All right, under the next pick, the Giants took a player who a buddy of mine who scouts the draft really hard um, texted me, which, which I found so interesting. He texted me, I think it was like 30, 30 to 40 picks about before this pick was made. And he said, he said one name, he said, because first he, he was, we were talking a lot about uh, what was going on with the Oddish who kept dropping in the draft, obviously, until the Cowboys traded up to get him. Um, but he also texted me, why the hell has Cam, uh, has uh, Cam Brown not been drafted? Um, just because, you know, once you get to these day three picks, these type of players stand out to a lot of a lot of the people who study the draft because these are the type of guys you want to bet on. You don't really want to bet on the guys who don't have the athletic traits to, to make the jump. And then, lo and behold, a few picks later, the Giants drafted Cameron Brown, and I and I texted him about it, and, and he said it's my favorite pick of the draft. So I wanted to get your in, initial thoughts on Cam Brown, really long linebacker, something the Giants haven't had in a while really, at that second level. Um, so I just wanted to see what you thought about the Cam Brown pick. I love it. It kind of reminds me, obviously, it's a poor man's version of Zach Cunningham from the Texans. He was, I think, a second-round pick that Jerry Reese passed on a couple years back. And it's just a length, man. I mean, I think he has 95th percentile uh, length arms, which is 34 inches. But the dude's like six foot six, And I feel like he, coming downhill, he's pretty explosive. Now I think he's a bit stiff in the hips a little bit and uh but just that length the height and the arm length in itself is just going to force quarterbacks to throw over him like it closes yes. windows for quarterbacks in the middle of the field so that requires a quarterback to put a little bit more touch on his passes and you're not that great of a quarterback that little difference can actually really hinder you from being able to do that that could force turnovers in and of itself but let, we're getting ahead of ourselves things i do like tackle radius is <laughs> freaking huge i feel like in zone coverage instinctually he could probably do a better job but just he, he can get to his landmark very fast because his legs are freaking huge he covers so much ground and 
I just think, just like Penn State utilized him, that the Giants are going to use him in a versatile way, in a lot of different ways. You can blitz him off the edge. He's not an edge rusher whatsoever. He's way too stiff to do that. Yes. But he can do it, and he did it a lot from the nickel position because he was out there playing nickel slot a lot for Penn State. And somebody with that length, kind of like Terrell Thomas. Terrell Thomas was a long cornerback at a USC, and I remember when Jerry Reese drafted him back in, what was that, uh, 2009? Yep. Yeah, he was somebody that, you know, I remember when they drafted him, I was like, oh, maybe they can blitz this guy off the edge because he's a longer corner. But I think you get this guy in the sixth round and he can, if he does develop the right way and kind of work on his instincts, I think he's, you know, utilizing his hands in the box is something that he does relatively well. He's not the best athlete, the most fluid athlete, but I think he has some upside in, in uh, sub packages that the defense can kind of put him in and you don't really know exactly what he's going to do. This is another, I, I hate to say it, but it's another pick I really like. I liked, it's tough for me. This is the best draft I've I've had. I, I've, this is the best I've felt about a draft for the Giants in a long, long time. Um, So I'm trying to be objective with these picks, but we're talking about a day three pick, late in day three, and you could get a guy with that kind of length and that kind of versatility. Again, like you just said, the key to this pick, just like all these other ones even on day three and even their second pick uh, on day two, or the first pick, I'm sorry, on day two, it's what can they do in sub-package defense, which is what the NFL is becoming all about. And I love that Joe Judge said the three areas that he wanted to focus on were red zone, third downs, um, and I, there was one other one. I'm, now I'm blanking on it. It's been so much I've, I've consumed. But two of them were red zone and third downs. And, and in those situations, there's a lot of sub-package defense, especially on third downs. It's pretty much all sub-package defense. And these days, even on first and second downs, it's a lot of sub-package defense. And this is a guy who played, who wore a lot of hats at Penn State. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, last year, 273 snaps, slot cornerback role uh, in their defense, which is different for every defense. It's really just over the slot. 82 on the defensive line. Like we said, we don't think he translates there at the next level as an edge guy. But he played 82 snaps there. Eight snaps at free safety, which was weird. Six snaps at corner. And then 259 snaps in the box. So pretty much most, the vast majority in the box are over the slot. And... Like I said, this is a player with versatility for nickel. And one thing I loved about him, Nick, is that he was a two-time captain there at Penn State. And they they all said that in the locker room, he was the lead dog. And remember, the Giants brought over, uh, my, my blanking on his name, the coach from Penn State. Who, who What's his name again? Coach Chaos, bro. Chaos, yeah. Who, line coach. The defensive line coach from Penn State, who, by the way, the minute it happened, two of my buddies from Penn State texted me and said, this is the best coach we, the best position coach we had by far in our team. This is a massive loss for us. So it was a big get for Joe Judge. It was a really nice scoop for him. Um, and I think we'll, we'll see dividends paid there. But he said that, you know, he was the lead dog in this defense. And remember, this is a defense that ever since, you know, James Franklin came in, They've been recruiting like massive classes, like top five classes over and over, five-star guys. So if you're the lead dog and a two-time captain on a defense that has a ton of five-star personalities and talents on there, that's a good sign. That's a really good sign because when you get to the NFL, it's all five-star prospects for the most part. It's all they got cream for the crop that rises to the top. So again, I love that that little aspect about him, that he's that type of player as well. Another really high, high, high IQ, high versatile and you know team captain type of guy somebody who you're going to want in your locker room somebody you want in your sub package defense so for me and you mentioned it best the thing i'm most excited about if i had to pinpoint one thing nick would be his length and coverage because 
that's going to that's going to really have quarterbacks guess second guessing themselves if they can get the ball over the top in those zones with somebody who can reach those arms out and t- and and stop the pass and if it's going to change their trajectory on the football and the arm angle they put on it well that could be la- lead to an overthrow that could lead to an interception that could lead to a lot of positive things for this defense hundred percent. And another thing, and I know it's not overly sexy, but when you're talking about a guy who could step in and just be a special teams ace, because again, that length, man, like how football is a game of inches. And how many times do you see someone come around the edge and jump and just miss the block on that field goal or just miss that punt? I feel like Cam Brown's just length and just how long he is. That that makes such a difference. This guy could be a special teams captain years down the road with his background and being a team captain and with all those physical traits that he has and he does possess. And as a player on the defense, again, sub package, he does need to get a little bit better handling. I, I feel like it in the run because he can get really high. So his center of gravity uh, obviously is going to rise because he's such a tall, you know, person. And I feel like, you know, in coverage, and with his instincts just in general, they can all kind of be worked on. That's why he fell to the sixth round. But I think there's a lot to like about this. I like this pick because I remember Brown down to senior bowl. I remember Brown uh, just I remember I think I wrote something for Big Blue View about Brown like a while. Like just this was a while ago. And it was before I really dove into his tape. But just looking at his measurables down at the senior bowl. I think it was during the senior bowl review. I was like, this guy is incredibly long. And he's he, when he steps on the stage, you're like, holy crap, man, that guy. Who who is this? Is this a basketball player? No, he's yeah, a no. linebacker. Crazy. So it's, yeah, so that kind of length. I mean, the Giants didn't get Isaiah Simmons, and obviously they're not even close to being the same prospect. But just having somebody that long, and I know we just said that word so many times, but it's so important. So in, important. It's so important in football. So it really can, is. You know, become a little bit better in man coverage with just yep. his overall change of direction, athleticism, and like his reactionary quickness, which is a little bit behind. If you can clean those little things up, man. Oof. I mean, this could be good, but uh, just even if he's just that special teams player who comes in on sub packages and you got that in the sixth round, that's that's a really damn good pick, man. Yep, there's no doubt about it. He can still really grow into this body, and it's just going to be a nice change of pace to have length at that second level at linebacker and coverage. They just haven't had very long, long time on this defense. Think about it, man. Nate Stupar, well, that wasn't that long ago where this is the linebackers that the Giants were throwing out there. They addressed the hell out of this position. And and Brown, and dude, Brown's going to be used, what, 41 pressures. So, you know, Patrick Graham's going to dial up some unique pressures, and he's going to probably run because he can really explode going downhill he's gonna run into some freaking running backs and just truck them over and get his arms that could force fumbles you know at the top of the arc things like that from the nickel position i just it's i like it yeah no doubt about it nick and listen just like you said it wasn't long ago they've had you know the nate stupar bj goodson types at linebacker there they this is a depth chart that they they spent a lot of picks on the linebacker position this 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 draft and in free agency as well re-signing Mayo signing Blake Martinez Kyler Fackrell who plays more of an edge role but still linebacker and it's exactly what I want because I've made the case for a while that I think in the new age NFL that second level might be the most important and most impactful level of all the levels and it's the hardest to find as well so just wanted to say though he's not a pure projection the production has been there so. Let's go over some of these numbers. In 2018, when he really broke out for Penn State, he he um, started 12 or 13 games, 63 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, and six pass breakups, six PBUs in coverage. Then in 2019, again, started all the games, 72 tackles, five and a half for loss, two sacks, and again, four PBUs, so 10 PBUs in two straight years. I really like to see that from a guy um, who we're projecting to potentially help them in coverage. 
Yeah, and why, look at this guy. Go and Google him if you haven't to see him. Yeah, he's, he's a freak. Got, like, he has abs on top of abs. This is like a this is a physical specimen right here. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. And I think to be quite honest with you, Nick, the only reason he was available at this pick is because he didn't perform up to up to how he looks at the combine. Um, and from all the testing drills. And like I said, there's going to be a lot of guys this year. We think McKinney's one of them. We think there's a few others. There's going to be a lot of guys this year that are going to be steals because they had bad combines that that were completely affected by the NFL changing the combine to have these weird 1030 drills and where everyone said they were exhausted by the time they got to these drills and they felt terrible. There was multiple players, not just McKinney was not the only one. You look across the board, there were more cramps and, and issues with injuries than we've seen in years at the combine because of how they changed it. So hopefully the Giants can land a couple of these steals, these guys who didn't uh, test up to expectations at the combine. But a couple other things that stood out to me were some of the comments from Gettleman on, and Judge on Brown, who they said that um, they feel that Gettleman feels that he has a lot of developmental tools and qualities that they're excited about. And Judge said this. He said it's not just the tools and the frame that he thinks that he can fill out. He thinks he plays with really good en energy and he's really aggressive when he's moving downhill. What has been the MO for this Giants line for the for the new age linebackers the Giants have been bringing in over the over the past few years? It's that, that aggressiveness and downhill and an ability to be aggressive downhill. 10-yard split, baby. It's the 10-yard split. And so this is just another guy who's very aggressive in attacking downhill, and that's the type of defense they want, especially at that second level, and I think they're going to get it there with the guys. All right, let's move on to the next pick, which I think I'm probably too excited about, Nick, and you you have got to take me down another level here on this pick because this was probably my day th favorite day three pick from a value standpoint. I, besides the length— and the play strength off the edge, which I eventually don't think he's going to be playing that many snaps of with the Giants, I think this guy is an absolute stud. And that's Carter Coughlin out of Minnesota. He first caught my attention a long time ago because a player like this is supposed to be a bad athlete. Like, that's what he's supposed to be because he was highly productive at Minnesota. Again, another captain for the football team there at Minnesota. But he caught my attention at the Combine when he ran a 4.57 40-yard dash. This is an insane time for a 233-pound linebacker. 4.57 40-yard dash. And then, if as if that was enough, and it's not, because that would have been enough for me, just somebody who can run a 4.57 at 230, or 236 pounds he weighed in at the Combine. The dude had a 1.54 short 10-yard uh, split. 99th percentile 10-yard split. What have we said about Giants and their linebackers in the 10-yard split? They love that crap. And 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 listen, this is what turned them on to Ryan Connolly. This is how they located him. And I believe that this could also be the same way they locate Carter Coughlin. I believe eventually he can convert, at least for the majority of his snaps, to that off-ball linebacker position. That's where I kind of see him at the next level. It's a projection because he didn't play it at college. He had 569 snaps off the edge and only 26 off-ball in 2019, according to Pro Football Focus. So again, another projection here for sure because both me and Nick both agree, by the way, and we'll get to your thoughts in a second, Nick, that he's not going to really have the length or play strength to play on the edge at the NFL level for sure, which is understandable. But again, if we're talking about projections, we're looking at the 10-yard split. We're looking at the the overall athleticism, 4, 5, 7, 40-yard dash, and the production level with a guy like Carter Coughlin. And I'm very, very excited about this team captain coming to the Giants. 
As some of you know, I used to write for the Gopher Report, so I've watched a lot of Carter Coughlin's 2018 film. And after that, I thought he was going to be a day-two pick, and a lot of people were saying this guy could possibly be a day-two pick despite being a tweener. But his 2019, it wasn't as productive because teams just really focused in on him. I want to say he had 15 tackles for a loss in 2018 and and 9.5 sacks. And then in 19, he had 9.5 tackles for a loss and and 4.5 sacks. So it took a bit of a dip. But that's also because Big Ten teams, they were all kind of focused on Carter Coughlin, and Coughlin became the leader of that deep as Blake uh, Blake Cashman ended up going to the NFL for the Jets. He had alligator arms. Sadly, Carter Coughlin kind of has alligator arms too, and it's one of my biggest knocks on him. But, I mean, this is a good athlete right here, despite those arms. I mean, you brought up his 40. His 40 was 87th percentile, but his lower body explosiveness, which also translates to the tape because he does have a good first step and a good second step. His vertical jump was 36 inches, 73rd percentile. His broad jump was 126 inches. That's a 92nd percentile. for the linebacker position. So he is an explosive athlete. It's just having an arm length in the 19th percentile at 31 and 3.8 inch. He's not imposing looking. He's 236 pounds, but he's pretty thin framed. He's not somebody that you think is going to set the edge, and he doesn't have the length or the strength at the point of attack to do either of those things. Kind of leads him to be a tweener, despite the fact that he kind of knows what he's doing when he's rushing the passer. He has moves. He uses double swipes. He uses counter moves, spins, clubs. You know, he knows how to attack the half man, establish that half man relationship and push that outside shoulder and try to dip around tackles. I wouldn't say he's overly flexible, but he's not necessarily stiff. So he's effective with his hands. He's a pretty good athlete. He just has those tweener traits because he can play an off ball. You know, he has athletic ability in space. He utilized spatial awareness in the zone coverages that I have seen him do. I thought his lateral agility is fine too, but you're not going to want to put him out there on first and second down when the team could just run directly at him and he's getting bowled over by tackles. So he's going to have to develop there. But we brought up a while ago, Dan, on the podcast, how Miami had a bunch of second level defenders like Van Ginkle and stuff mm-hmm. down there and Vin- Vince Beagle, all the all the old Wisconsin Badgers, the Badgers. <laughs> down there in Miami that he used. And on third downs, he would have like four or five of those guys out there sometimes with like um, with the kid from Clemson last year, Dexter Lawrence's uh, teammate, who I'm blanking on his name. Wilkins, Christian Wilkins. Yeah, Christian Wilkins down there as like the one tech and they would just all roam, but then they would bring four. Or they would bring five. So a lot of those guys, like in the similar build of Carter Coughlin, like what are they? Are they going to be edge players that you want to put out there? No, they're more situational pass rushers. So Graham has experience utilizing people of this skill set. This is a seventh round pick. Just last year, people were talking about this guy in the third round. I know. That there's something to be said about that. If he had a more productive 2019, then you little things like that, and it sounds ridiculous because especially how close you are on some plays to – the difference between the quarterback getting rid of the ball and you making the sack. And like that happens so many times throughout a season, but it just didn't fall on Coughlin's side this year. Teams were able to kind of protect and, you know, keep a running back in to chip him and stuff like that because he was the most talented guy in the front of the, uh, of the Minnesota defense. I mean, Minnesota had a couple guys drafted. They had Kamal Martin, who's a linebacker. They had obviously Antoine Winfield, who's a back end guy who was really talented. And then they also had somebody else who we'll talk about in a little bit, yeah. but but yeah, I, I did like this pick. Again, I this is a seventh-round pick. I don't see this being a guy who's going to be out there every down. He needs to get stronger. He really needs to be better at the point of attack. You're never going to be able to overcompensate for the lack of length. But I think uh, Graham can use him in sub-packages if he develops, and I do feel like he will make the team. Yeah, you said it best, Nick. This is a guy who had a 92.2 
pass rushing grade, according to PFF, in 2018 on 342 snaps. And that was 52 pressures. That dropped, that dipped in, in 2019. Still pretty high, though. 52 pressures again in 2019, but he had more snaps rushing the passer. So obviously the, the grade went down a little bit, 80.5. But this is a guy who... The Giants actually view, I believe, as what you just said. And this is what you should be looking for in, in the seventh round. You should be looking for special teams guys and situational players. And they don't and, – and even though I think long-term, if he's going to become in more of an every-down player, he will have to convert to off-ball or at least start to play there and, and then get some snaps there as well. But they're viewing him off the bat as an edge – situational edge guy, just like you said, how we, how we saw kind of what they were doing down in Miami because – both of them said this. I mean, Dave Gettleman said he's a tall, linear guy out of Minnesota, 6'3", 240, and can run, obviously, 4'5", 7". And Judge said this. The theme of the day was speed, and we got speed with Carter Coughlin, again, 4'5", 7", and he thinks that gives them more speed off the edge, something they didn't, they don't have. And with that speed, he thinks he plays with a high motor and a lot of aggressiveness. So even if he's somebody who can really hurt them, if you put them on him, if you put him in on early downs because he can't really set the edge and the NFL level against the run— it won't matter as much if you're just using him on su- in sub packages on third downs when all he's literally expected to do off the edge is rush, rush the passer. Um, so I think he could be somebody who comes in right away and helps them in that regard. He's my he's the most exciting day three pick from a value standpoint for me. Yeah, the Cam Brown, I think you can make an argument for just when day three, but when it comes to seventh round picks, it's Carter Coughlin, and I don't even feel like it's close, oh, yeah. especially from a value standpoint. And this guy is technically sound, too, so he's not somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't really know what, what he's doing. He knows what he's doing with his hands. He has counter moves. He He's shown that a bunch of different times, and he has functional athletic ability uh, when it comes to you know explosiveness and things like that. I wish he was a little bit more bendy, but... I, I, it's hard to knock this pick in the seventh round. And I, I do feel like he's going to earn a role and a spot on this team eventually. Yeah. Which I can't say cool. the same for everybody that was drafted no. in the seventh round. No, not at all. A lot of these, uh, I would say at least one or two of these seventh rounders are going to be cut. Um, just the, the sheer numbers game. And that's unfortunate, but that's how it is when you have three seventh round picks, they don't make the NFL rosters very often. I mean, even last year, the giants cut the pick that they traded up for is Georgia's top of the Jai. They cut him. Um, so one more cool note about Carter Coughlin I wanted to throw out there. He played at the same high school as our boy Ryan Connolly in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, which I have some experience with because uh, I knew a few people from Eden Prairie that I was friends with when I went to um, University of Wisconsin in Madison. Cool area there. Um, and Wait, also, Dan, you went, to, you went to the University of Wisconsin? Yeah, I, I, I did this breaking news for those who listen <laughs> to this podcast and for you as well, Nick. Um, but I also have some family up there. In Minnesota, not in Eden Prairie, but in in the Minneapolis area, uh, my cousin Rachel, unbelievable person. I love Rachel, um, and she literally have nothing negative to say about her. And her husband Joe, who is from Minnesota, big fan of Minnesota, so I got his take on the Minnesota players in this draft, um, just from that fan standpoint. And Joe also just an incredible guy. Um, so, you know, cool thing for me is that they played together. Connolly and 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 uh, Carter Coughlin, and it'll be cool to see how that how they interact with you know. And I already heard an interview with Carter Coughlin where he said Connolly reached out to him right away, and they actually not only played on the same football team, but they grew up a few houses down from each other. So just an interesting note there um, on Carter Coughlin. Moving They're forward, like BFFs, I would imagine, right? Yeah, right. They got to be really good friends. I think they are. Um, one one more note about Coughlin too. Relentless. You turn on his film, the dude, yeah. the dude never gives up, and you just mm-hmm. I have a lot of respect for players like that. And you would hope that every player has that. Not even close. So no, not step- even close. That kind of motor. If every player had that kind of motor, 
then Vernon Golston would be like the best player in the NFL maybe right now. <laughs> um, Albert Hainsworth. Albert Hainsworth. Jeez, can you imagine some of the interior guys if they had that kind of motor? Um, but anyway, back to the Giants draft. I won't I won't bore you guys with any more compliments from my cousins and my family or any more Vernon Golston motor talk. But let's talk about the Giants players here. Let's get back into it. Next seventh round pick, TJ Brunson. What are your thoughts on him, linebacker out of South Carolina? I just wish he was more athletic, man. I do. Yeah. I think he's I think he's a smart when he's in the box. So he's a good in the box type of linebacker. He actually does a pretty good job with his like short area lateral agility and even some bend, to be honest. I don't think he's an overly flexible or fluid guy, but in the box, he bends because he's more flexible than, you know, gigantic 320 pound tackles. He can sure. bend around them dip his shoulder and then locate the ball carrier. And he showed that a couple of times. I watched his game against Georgia and I watched his game against Alabama, but he does miss a couple of the tackles like, and just like he'll be on the near hash and it'll be an outside run and he has an angle and he just doesn't get there. And I hate seeing that because I'm just like, you're just the athleticism isn't there for you. And that's probably a big reason why he wasn't invited to the combine. He was down there at the senior mm-hmm. bowl. I remember him down there, but I like That's where they instinct. say they fell for him, the senior bowl. Yeah, I mean, I like his instincts. Reportedly, he's a really good leader of the team. And, yep. you know, you show that. Another team try, captain. Yeah, another team captain. I try to take that with a grain of salt. But when you're a team captain, I don't. Because that means people had to listen to you and you were probably yeah. voted either by the coaching staff or the players or however they did it. So I, 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 from an intelligence standpoint, within the box, I do like him. I do think his tackling could use some work especially in space. I feel like he throws his body kind of wildly at people and his, doesn't really come to balance. I mean, he's a physical dude. If like you're squared up and he can run at you, but the, the lack of, you know, top level athletic ability is going to be something that would be really picked on if he was out there on third downs. Can he step in and be, you know, if, if Ryan Connolly gets hurt again, can he step in and possibly fill a role as a two down linebacker? Maybe if he develops a little bit, but there's some technical things there, but I, I like him, I would say better than some of the other guys that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. A couple interesting things about him was three-year starter at South Carolina and two-time captain. Again, the captain, very big thing for this Giants team. They want a lot of captains. They keep drafting and acquiring a lot of these team captain types. If you can get a whole team full of them, I think it's going to be a good thing. I'm I'm standing by that. I know, you know the results haven't shown yet that it's been working for the Giants, at least not in wins and losses, but... Remember, guys, there was so much work to do with this roster when this new regime took over. I don't think people really understand how bad Jerry Reese left things with the New York football giants. At the time, there's objective stats that we can go by. He, At the time when Jerry Reese was fired, the Giants had the least drafted player. He was GM with the least, with the fewest drafted players remaining in the NFL. Just think about that. The fewest <laughs> drafted players. That's what Gettleman took over, a roster with the fewest drafted players. And in addition to that, he wanted to completely retool how the defense looks, and he wanted to, com- and he had to completely retool the offensive line. Do you guys remember this? The last year, it, this is the saddest thing when I think about this. The final year of Jerry Reese's tenure with the Giants, he actually decided to go into a season with Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart as his starting two tackles. Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart. How do you approach a season like that? In what world could that ever work? We don't talk enough about how bad Jerry Reese was in those latter years, yet we talk about it a lot, and that's how bad he really was. He drafted a quarterback in day two when the quarterback never talked to the head coach. Like, that is not good at oh all. Oh, my God. Like, it, it, it was, it was, 
it was a sham towards the end. And it was a sham. It, it really was. And I don't want to knock the guy. The guy won two. I mean, I know Dan, I know Dan will not like to hear this, but he was the general manager of two Super Bowl winning teams. Now, were those his players? No, it was the second one. He, sure, the second yes. one certainly does. And yes. he did an excellent job developing and drafting defensive ends and wide receivers for sure. And and that 2007 draft class was one of the best draft classes yes. in Giants history. Yes, he also had probably the best draft, one of the draft best draft classes in Giants history. He started with a bang, man. I mean, if if if, if Kevin Boss doesn't have the concussion issues, he's landing an unreal inline wide tight end, which is like one of the most impossible things to find in round five. Mod Bradshaw in round seven, like just Marcus Johnson was hit. a solid safety. Yes. Marcus Johnson was a solid safety out of Arizona, and then uh, Wilson hit after hit after hit. It, that wasn't if when he started with that 2007 draft class, you thought the Giants may have had the best general manager in the NFL. It just it, it was downhill from that. All downhill from there, and just the 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 the, the, the lack of just interest in developing offensive drafting offensive linemen to develop. Um, I, I once wrote an article about this. I think it was seven picks in the top five rounds were used on the offensive line in 11 draft classes seven picks just it's a disgustingly low number the Giants used three picks alone this year uh, in that in that regard on the offensive line not to um, mention so. some of those players that the Giants were winning those Super Bowls with they they weren't they were kind of long in the tooth they were starting to get like guys like Rich Soybert mm-hmm. Kareem McKenzie towards like the 2011 and obviously Sean O'Hara they were getting older, and it, it took until what 2012 when they started like really kind of looking. Okay, well, let's invest some guy like Justin Pugh, and then Weston Richburg. Yeah, uh, that so was the it, thing. He just kept p- passing. Like he never foresaw what was going to happen in that line. Yeah. Even after they won a Super Bowl, he comes back right after it, and he uses a pick on a running back, David Wilson. Like it's just the foresight there. Was, it was just never. And even in his last year, the line had been degrading to even. This was years after the Super Bowl, and yet he uses the first round pick on a on a on a tight end who's really kind of a receiver in Evan Ingram instead of Ryan Ramchek. So it just it was never there for him. The focus was never there. The only time he ever went O line was when he needed when he was really gun again back against the wall, and then he forced them with Pugh. Force pick should have never been a first rounder, especially a tackle. He's an okay guard when healthy. Force the pick on Flowers again. We've we've gone over that one at length. And then Western Richburg, another really forced pick. Too small of a player. He's an okay center for his own blocking scheme, and he's good when he's healthy for Shanahan. But when he got injured and and a new guy took over last year with Arizona, I'm sorry, with San Francisco, he didn't he didn't skip the beat there. He also graded out really well for them at center. So. Yeah, but let, let's turn the page, Jerry Reese. It's long overdue. Let's talk a little bit more about TJ Brunson again, captain of the team, somebody who's probably going to be a special teamer, we think, if he makes the team right. I would imagine, yeah. I mean, he's not—he has sub-32-inch arms. He's only six foot, 219 pounds, so he's pretty small, which I believe is another reason why he wasn't invited to the yeah. combine. And uh, But again, he has that starting experience. He has— 38 starts and 49 career games in the SEC. There's something to be said about that. And he's a very uh, just physical player who plays with a lot of competitive toughness. And just being a leader and having all those things in the seventh round, possibly coming on special teams, possibly in the future, if he develops the right way, steps into a two-down linebacker role, those are things that I can see Gettleman and Judge being like, okay, let's bring in this guy. He has good intangibles off the field. Let's see if we can develop him. But the size and the athletic ability will always be something that will probably work against him. Yep. And even even when talking about him, Gettleman said this is a guy who we feel has a lot of special team value. It's one interesting note before we turn the page. I thought this was interesting from Joe Judge. He said that he's a guy in South Carolina's scheme and with Will Muschamp down there that that um isn't he says he what he likes is that he comes from a scheme with Mil, Will Bo- 
sorry, with Will Muschamp that isn't the simplest down there. And that's something that he thinks is really important. He's been challenged mentally a lot down there. So they've been coached hard. They've been asked to pick up. And he and he mentions, he says it's very similar to the guys we talked about playing at Georgia and Alabama and those schemes. They're very similar schemes, very similar cultures. And that's a, so he even said he's a guy who does a lot, makes has to make a lot of calls based on the scheme and has that communication element down. And that's something they want. They wanted somebody who's coming from these these cultures like that, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Yeah, and he ran a he played in a lot of a two four five under front. So the under front means that the three technique is going to be towards the weak side. And they had Javon Kinlaw do that. They had Javon Kinlaw one technique. But Javon Kinlaw's main thing that he did was just occupy double teams and just upfield pressure. So that's excellent. But if the running play is avoiding Javon Kinlaw, then there's going to be a gap because say say the say he uses upfield pressure, but he doesn't get his hand on the running back then there's going to be a gap, and that gap needs to be filled by a linebacker, a smart linebacker, someone who knows how to execute their run fits. That was TJ Brunson. So he kind of did have a lot of, on his plate, he had, um, I would say, just a lot of responsibility to kind of make sure that that didn't happen because if it did happen and a linebacker ends up getting picked up by another block, then that's going to be that running back in space against a safety, and you don't want that. So, yes, I, I could, I definitely saw that. They, I mean, they, they ran a lot of different fronts though. There, two, four, five. You, you know, you, you saw three, four. You saw mm-hmm. two I, two, uh, a two I and a three technique. So, definitely had a, de- a lot of different things. And I want to say he was one of the uh, signal callers of that defense. Obviously, being the team captain, so he definitely had to be a uh, not just know his job, but everybody else's, and had to be a communicator. Yep, no doubt. And how about moving on to the next uh, seven, uh, seven round pick from the Giants? That's another Minnesota Gopher here. So props, shout out, Jill Fine and Rachel, Rachel Fine out there in Minnesota. My cousins, they got one more shout out, Nick. I, I need. I was going to say, didn't you say they were done? They're never done. <laughs> My family will never be done. They will be talked about on this podcast. Not quite as much as Paul Dottino, but they will they will get their due. Um, so Chris Williamson, a guy who Dave Gettleman says we drafted a safety out of Minnesota, which I thought was interesting um, there. That's kind of where they're projecting him moving forward, I think I would say. He's a guy who's from the Georgia area, which was interesting as well because he talked about how – I heard an interview with him where he talked about how he grew up and he knew Darius Slayton. He matched up against him in one of their big games down there, um, one of the state games down there um, for, for some of the football that he played. So he's a guy who's going to be another one of these flexible – they, they said, uh, Joe Judd said they, they call it the star position, the nickel position as well, where they think he can play, which is interesting to me because I think he has a good uh, combination of size and speed. So they, they view him competing in multiple spots, the star and the nickel, those two spots. So where do you see Williamson competing um, and what do you make of this pick? Well, Williamson, I want to say in 2008, well, let's go back even further. He committed sure. to Florida. And he was at Florida in his freshman camp. He ended up popping his hamstring and he was out and then he just got buried on the depth chart. So he transferred with to uh, Minnesota to play for PJ Fleck. And uh, 2018, he played a lot of boundary. I think he split boundary slot and then uh, it didn't really work out all that well. And then he switched to basically the slot in 2019 this past season for Tony Rossi's defense and uh, it was a little bit better I would say I I remember Chris Williamson from when I was writing for the team and he never really popped out at me I I didn't see him as a huge liability I didn't really see I I mean I've saw I've seen him give up touchdowns and stuff like that but I didn't necessarily think he was going to be someone that was going to be drafted and what did he do in 2000? He played in 38 games. He started 10 of them, recorded 96 total tackles, seven and a half or lost, three and a half sacks, nine passes defense, and two picks his time at Minnesota. But he's 
kind of undersized, man. He's 5'11", 199 pounds. Didn't expect him to really uh, be someone who was going to be drafted. If it was, it was going to be around this range. I'm interested to see how the Giants kind of utilize him, though, to be honest. I think... Uh, you know, I, I've done a little research on him. He seems like somebody who's really, really committed to football, who loved football, who played wide receiver because uh, he, he grew up outside the Atlanta area, went to Gainesville High School, ironically, ended up going to Gainesville, uh, Florida for college initially. And uh, I want to say his brother plays at Stanford right now. But um, I'm interested to see. I don't know if he's going to be physical enough to be that that star position, especially when you look mm-hmm. just look at the investment in the defensive backs in the last right two seasons. Even if you include Sam Beal there, it, it's going to be hard for him to crack it. He would have to definitely make a lot, uh, do a lot on special teams. But according to PJ Fleck, he came into campus initially and was a little bit more shy, and then he really came, became a team leader this past season. And if any of you follow college football, you know Minnesota was one of the better teams in the nation, kind of surprised a lot of people up there in the Big yeah. Ten. So there's something to be said about that. But this is a seventh-round pick who's a mm. little bit undersized, doesn't have the ideal length. So it might be a little bit of an uphill climb for him, but they drafted him. They could have drafted one of the guys that they signed for free agency, but they didn't. So they see something in him, and I guess they hope they can develop him as that star position, someone who can come in and fill out that nickel spot on defense in certain sub-packages and something that he did relatively solidly for Rossi this year in that defense at Minnesota. Yeah, I would say he's going to have probably the most uphill battle of any of the draft picks to make the roster given the depth chart and what they've done on the defensive back position. But he'll have a shot. And then their final pick, Tate Crowder, interesting guy to me because he was a running back who then converted to linebacker. So I like that. And just it to me, this is just a pure trade. This is a, almost like a pure size speed pick. This is 245-pound player who ran a 4.6, which is insane. So they basically said, Gentleman basically said, this is a guy who has a lot of special teams value based on that. And that, I think, will give him a nice shot to make the roster, potentially, just because special teams is super important for this new regime. So what do you have on Crowder? Uh, he really stepped into the Bulldogs' defense 2018 and 2019, recorded 48 tackles, four and a half for a loss, and I saw Pro Football Focus had him with 19 stops in those two seasons. Again, he's really, really big. I had him at 6'3", 235, and to me, he kind of looks like that, which means he's definitely not somebody that's going to be used on third down he looks like he's a bit slow and again just like tj brunson i saw a couple plays because i turned on his game tape against vanderbilt who has Keyshawn vaughn who was drafted by the buccaneers in the second day of the draft and Keyshawn vaughn was kind of running all around him and i was like oh that's not that great but he has active hands at the point of attack and you could tell that he does have that good play strength plays to his size there which is pretty good um but i'm trying to look through my notes right here i just yeah i didn't i Definitely have him. Don't ha- does not have good sideline to sideline speed. Even even struggled with that from the middle of the field when he had solid angles and he seemed a little bit tight hipped. I have AA circled in red a couple times, which is not exactly a good thing. <laughs> and um, yeah, so those are the little things. Just foot Mr. speed, L. heavy feet. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, Mr. but L. he's missed. But he's Mr. Irrelevant, exactly. But one thing I did have also was I thought he was good in the box, like Brunson, mm-hmm. physical in the box, and he wasn't dumb. He he knew how to key and diagnose and read blocking schemes and attack downhill. So, again, I think him and Brunson might be fighting for a roster spot. Yeah. Like we've said for a while, the linebacker position, there wasn't a, a lot of talent. They brought in mm-hmm. Blake Martinez. Ryan Connolly's coming back healthy. But now you kind of bring in these inside linebackers to see if they can compete. But one of those two are going to have to step up, and the other one might be relegated to the practice squad. 
Yeah, it's so interesting to me, though. It's like these guys are going to compete for special teams, but I do like just – it's not just these guys. It's the whole draft. For so many years, we talked about how the Giants completely ignored the linebacker position, and everybody says Dave Gettleman's a relic, but at the same time, he's putting a lot of focus on the defensive backs, and we'll talk more about this when we kind of recap and give our overall takeaways from the draft, but they've really put a lot of importance on fixing this linebacker position as well. And just I look at it more as just second level. I look at it at three levels of the defense, the first level, the second level, and the third level. And the second level and the and the third level, really both of those levels, have been just plaguing the Giants for years. And they're finally putting uh, resources into fixing it. And some of these second-level and third-level defenders, they're just interchangeable. And those are the kind of guys you kind of want to target and get, like a Xavier McKinney. So that's something that I feel like the Giants knew. And we heard it in the transcripts with Judge talking about those star and those money positions. Somebody like McKinney can fill those roles. Someone like Julian Love can fill those roles. Jabril Pepper. So the Giants have these interchangeable pieces that can't are physical enough to drop down on the box and athletic enough to uh, uh, play with some range and stuff like that on the back end, and especially in too high uh, looks. So. I really For think sure. the Giants uh, made their roster a lot better when you look at the whole draft. Without a doubt. And we'll talk more about that when we recap the draft. But on that note, that's it for day three. Thank you to everyone who tuned into our coverage. This is going to be – considering we're going to get this pod off on Sunday, this is going to be what? Our 15th straight day with a podcast, something crazy like that. We've been on fire with that. I hope you guys have been enjoying it. We're enjoying it as well. Um did want to read a couple more positive reviews, uh, and I will read a negative one if it comes in as well, just for the fun of it. But we haven't had any recently, so that's a good sign. No, no, people, are, I guess, are getting used to my nasally voice. Um, so G-Man Gomez says, I love the show. I've been listening for two years, and I feel like I know football better because of you guys. Love your honest objectivity despite being Giants fans just as I. Their analysis, he says, your analysis is so in-depth that and so enlightening while still not coming off as know-it-alls, which is really important, by the way, to me because I don't want to be coming off as a know-it-all. I am not. Yeah, yeah I, I really don't want to be known as a know-it-all. Like For me, I consider myself a student of football, Same. a student of the game because I know there are people who know a lot more than me, and there are a lot of things that you know I could teach people who might not know as much about football, but there's so much that I still need to learn, and I try to learn it. Every, that's why I read all these books about football, and that's why I love this game. There's just so much to me learn. Too. There's so much to it. And I feel the exact same way, Nick. So I do. So we really do appreciate this review, G Man Gomez. And he says it easily has become a must download. And I still love listen, but I do still love listening to Giants.com podcast with Paul Dettino. And he gives a wink. That's funny. Like I said, guys, do not stop listening to the to the Paul Dettino. You like the you like that stuff? Listen to it. Like I said, they get good guests. And uh, John Schmelk's a really good guy, and I think he's a solid analyst. An Sh- analyst. Schmel- yeah, Schmelk's the man. He, he he's a good guy. But he says, I come here routinely to get the full meal and not just the appetizer. So I did like that little comment. <laughs> we'll dig it, Paul. We'll take digs with Paul, too, though. I'm down for that. This rivalry ain't over. You don't come at me that hard on Twitter for no apparent reason at all and think you're going to get away with it. Uh, Giants Ben Harrison left us another five-star review. He says, informative X's and O's and nuances. My favorite podcast, but not in a pedantic way. Still entertaining. Cuts through the BS and hands out the truth. He says, Tang- tangently, um, tangentially, Schneier may be the best Twitter follow out there. All right, I appreciate that. But don't sleep on Nick Filato, by the way. <laughs> I think he might be an even better Twitter follower than me. I so. got I to be more active on there, but I love the Maybe. fact that he used pedantic, yeah. In, yeah, in no, the- the great words used in that um, in, in that review for, as well. So thanks to everyone who took the time to write those reviews. Like we said, we appreciate it. We know you don't have to do it, and you're doing it to help us. And that's exactly what it is. It really does help us. It hopefully pushes up that algorithm on iTunes so we can get this podcast out to more Giants fans uh, that might be interested in this kind of content, X and O's breakdown, or like you said, objective review of the team. 
um, based on the X's and O's. So thanks again. We really do appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.